0: Is great to be gathered together this morning. My name is Craig. I have the privilege of serving as a pastor here at Estevan Alliance Church. And this is third Sunday of Advent. That means we've only got a week and a half till Christmas. And I hope that for you, Advent is a time of build-up towards Christmas. Not build-up in terms of getting more and more anxious about things, though it seems there is a fair bit of anxiety this year around Christmas because we don't even know what we're going to be able to do. But my hope and prayer is that when we go through this time of Advent, that it's a build-up of anticipation to celebrating Jesus Christ, and that already as we are celebrating Advent, that we are experiencing Jesus Christ as the one who came to give us hope, that came to give us peace. And this morning we reflect on Jesus Christ, the one who came to give us joy. Well, we're going to talk about joy this morning. And to begin thinking about joy, I want us to think about a couple of characters. Characters that I was introduced to as a child, maybe you were as well, and I'm going to describe these two characters. And I want to see if anybody can figure out what characters am I talking about. The first one is, He's orange, he's got pointy ears, he's got whiskers, he's got a tail that's wound up really, really tight, and he bounces all over the place and he's just always happy and everything's great. Now here's the other character. He's gray, both in color and in personality. His mood is just always gray. He's a little bit shorter, kind of a plump fellow. His head is always hanging down. And you hear him say things like, It could always be worse. I don't know how, but it could always be worse. Anybody figured out who the who the two characters are? Go ahead, say it out loud. Who are they? Tigger and Eeyore. There they are. And you know... Tigger is the one that we naturally think of as being joyful. And and I want you just to kind of lock that picture in your mind, because at the end of this service, as I wrap things up, no, I'm not wrapping my sermon up now. This is not the shortest sermon I've ever preached. But when I come to that point, we're going to come back to this picture, and I'm going to be asking you, are you naturally a Tigger or an Eeyore? Now, as we think about joy... It's pastor's club time, and and I wanted to tell the pastor's club what we're drawing a picture of this morning. And so this morning, I would like to invite the pastor's club to draw a picture of someone who is joyful, and be sure to show me why they are joyful. Now, last week on Sunday, we had our pastor's club get together. Finally, after months of trying to figure out how can we have an ice cream party when we can't eat ice cream and how many people can we get together and all that stuff, we had it last week. It was awesome. It was great to have so many members of our pastor's club together. We sang some songs. We played some games. We visited Caraway Street, and we just had a good time together. For those that weren't able to be there, watch your mailboxes. Because the way that we could have ice cream without having ice cream is everyone got a little coupon for getting ice cream at Dairy Queen. So if you weren't able to make it to the Pastors Club and you're a part of the Pastors Club, yours should be coming in the mail. Now I need to just pause and tell you what's happening next. Next Pastors Club gathering, February. I haven't got the date set, but it'll be in February. And we are going to get together. I'm not promising what kind of food we're going to have this time. Because that just created way too many headaches. But we will have fun together. We will do stuff together. And there's going to be prizes at the next pastor's club. And the prizes will be based on how many Sundays have you given me a picture Not how many pictures you've drawn, okay? You can't draw 50 pictures and bump you up to the top of the line, okay? You can't just draw 50 pictures this week. But how many Sundays have you drawn a picture and got your parents to text or email me that picture, and there'll be prizes for that. So that's what's happening with Pastors Club. Well, as we think about joy, this morning I want to invite us to consider four things that I believe that the Bible teaches us about joy. And the first is the obvious one that most of us will think of when we think of joy. And that is that joy is a response. Have you ever heard somebody say that joy and happiness are different? Well, they are. And we're going to talk about how at a deeper level they are, but at the simplest level, they have something in common. They are both emotions. There's no getting around that. I know some people like to separate and say, well, no, joy isn't the emotion, happiness is the emotion. No, I think that joy is an emotion, and so is happiness. And emotions are a natural response to what happens. Right now, wherever you are sitting, whether you're in your living room, in your car, or you're here in the sanctuary, you are having an emotional response based on the circumstances and what's going on. Now, you're having the immediate response, but also everything that's happened throughout this morning, everything that's happened throughout this week, that all plays into that response. And joy is one of the emotions that we can have. We actually see this in Scripture. It's Christmas time. We are soon going to celebrate the Christmas story. Let's think for a minute. Who are the characters in the Christmas story? I'm gonna ask those that are in the sanctuary to help me out here at home. You can just call out answers too, but unfortunately I can't hear you. Who are the characters? Just shout them out. Jesus. Jesus is one of them, absolutely. Who else? Yeah. The angels, that's right. Who are some other characters in the in the Christmas story? Joseph, Mary? Who else? The shepherds? The innkeeper? Yeah. What about the sheep? And the cattle that we assume were lowing and, you know, all the other animals. We assume they're there, so sure, I guess they can be characters in the story, you know. But there's some people that come along a little later in the story. Who are they? They come to visit Jesus and they bring gifts. The wise men! You know, when the wise men finally get to Bethlehem, the Bible tells us that they had been following this star, and when it stopped they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. When we were meeting together as a prayer team this morning, uh, it was read for us uh, in a little different translation. Um, and this, this translation said, And when they saw the star, they were so ecstatic that they shouted and celebrated with unrestrained joy. They were ecstatic. Now, I think they were joyful Because they were going to worship the newborn king and they were going to see him and give their gifts, I can't help but wonder if some of their joy came from the fact that finally after possibly up to two years of traveling, they were able to finally get off of their camels. I'd be joyful if I got to get off a camel after two years. Have you ever driven a long drive and you finally get out of the car and you go, yes, we made it. Whatever their circumstance, whatever their true motivation was, they were joyful. You know, we express joy when we worship. Worship is an expression of joy. It's of the emotion that we have. It's not like we set our emotions aside when we worship. This morning, Phil read for us from Psalm 28, and we're just going to put those, those words up on the screen here so we can just reflect on that just briefly. In the middle there at the end of chapter of verse 7, it says, My heart leaps for joy, and with my, and with my song I praise him. But why is it? Praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. Jump down to verse 8. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed. He is anointed. Tap, 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 tap. Don't close your Bible before you're done reading. A fortress of salvation for his anointed one worship is an expression of joy and joy is a part of what we express in worship in response to who god is and what he's doing and did you know that in heaven angels experience the emotion of joy they respond to circumstances with joy specifically in luke we're told that when just one sinner turns to jesus christ the angels rejoice Joy is a response. But you know joy is also a choice. If I had time this morning, I would walk us through Acts chapter 5 and Romans chapter 5, 1st 2nd Corinthians chapter 12, Colossians chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 10, James chapter 1 and 1st Peter chapter 4, all of which teach us the same thing in the midst Of tough stuff, rejoice. Probably the best, uh, the most common uh, verse that would come to mind is James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy when you encounter troubles. Is that the natural response? Is that the emotion that naturally wells up? Oh good, I just stubbed my toe. Woohoo, I'm joyful. That's not the natural response. But it's a choice that we can make. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, this ver- one of these verses was read as part of the Advent reading. And in that passage, we read these words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see where a choice comes in in that passage? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's a choice that we make. And uh, we're, we're told in that passage there's things that hinder us, there's things that entangle us, there might be some tough stuff going on. But we have a choice to make. We can choose to focus on Jesus. We can choose to fix our eyes on him. Interestingly enough, in that passage as well, we see in verse 2, not only fixing our eyes on Jesus, but he, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Jesus modeled this for us. For the joy set before him, he died. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was scourged. He took on the sin of the world. Folks, joy is a response, but joy is also a choice. But we also see in Hebrews 12 that joy is a perspective. This is the idea of fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's not just a choice that I make that I'm going to do this, but it's a perspective that I can have day in and day out. I want to read a quote to you uh, from an article that was written by a fellow by the name of Bill High. And he puts this idea so well into words and draws from others' ideas about joy. Joy is a short but powerful word. Perhaps you can think of a moment of joy in your life. For many, it might be the moment of their marriage or the birth of a child. At the same time, we've been taught and intuitively know that we define joy by more than just a moment. It's more than circumstances. Happiness is dictated by circumstance. Joy is more like, it's like deep abiding. Merriam-Webster defines joy as the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune— or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. That definition leaves something lacking, however. Theopedia describes it more convincingly as a state of mind and an orientation of the heart. It is a settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope. Similarly, John Piper zeroes in on joy unique to Christians in writing, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. Rick Warren has his own definition. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. I think these ideas drive us closer to the definition. Joy is a feeling, yes, but it's also a confident abiding in the vine, which is Jesus, as laid out in John 15. It's knowing that all of our life derives from the vine, but it's also the future expectation that everything is going to be okay as we draw life from the vine, no matter our circumstances. Joy is the reason why so many have gone to a martyr's death, still confident and assured. Indeed, it is why Jesus could go to the cross for the joy that was set before him. All of these ideas about joy make me pause They make me ask, how am I doing living in the joy, the confident assurance of a present and future, abiding in the vine? Joy is a response. Joy is a choice. But joy is also a perspective. It's choosing to focus on Jesus no matter what our circumstances are. John chapter 15 is, is mentioned as in, in this uh, quote that I read. And in John chapter 15, we're told about the truth that we abide not only with Christ, but in Christ when we've experienced his love and forgiveness. It gives the image of a vine and branches, and he is the vine, and we are the branches. but I want us to think about something in terms of this perspective. It doesn't come naturally, does it? You know, there's a verse in the Bible that I often think of when I think of the word joy. The verse quite simply is, the joy of the Lord is my, anybody know what it is? Strength. Strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And I think about that verse, probably it's drilled into my head because I remember as a kid singing a song at the Sunday evening services. And if you're not familiar with that connotation, that simply means it wasn't a hymn, okay? But it went something like this. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You'll never guess what the lyrics are to the next line. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Now, talk about a repetitive song. I mean, repetitive songs tend to get a bad rap, but you know what they're good for? They drill the truth into your head. So often that's the verse that comes to mind. And I think about that verse, and, and, and I hadn't really thought about the context of that verse much. I just took it as a truth. The joy of the Lord is my strength. But I did a little digging. The context of that verse is that the people of Israel had wandered away from God. And they are being drawn back to God and Ezra the priest is reading the word of God to the people of Israel and they are recognizing how far they have wandered from God and the experience is described as being one full of sorrow and sadness and weeping and wailing. They feel guilty because of what they have done. And in the midst of that tough situation, when it would be very easy just to focus on all the bad stuff they've done and given up, Ezra and the other priests, Nehemiah was one of the other ones teaching, were told that the message they tell the people is go and celebrate. Eat. Eat. Good food, drink good drink, and celebrate that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Where does the joy come from? It definitely didn't come from their circumstances, because they realized that they had really screwed up in God's eyes. It, it might come as a choice that they could have, but it's tough to have those emotions come to the surface when they don't naturally come. They could choose to do this as an intellectual thing and say, well, this is the perspective I need to take. The joy of the Lord comes from who he is. And who is God? God is the one who forgives. Yes, the people of Israel had sinned, but God forgives. And in fact, the very next chapter, we see the people gathering for times of confession and forgiveness. That's the perspective they could have. And that's the perspective we are called to have. But even that is tough. Because that still puts the onus on me. I have to choose to have that perspective. The last thing I want to point out about joy is that it is a reality. John chapter 15 when it talks about Jesus is the vine and we are the branches it doesn't say you might be a branch attached to the vine it doesn't say you might get your life from the vine it says I am the vine you are the branch When we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we ask Him to forgive our sins, we are living in relationship with Him. And He is living within us. And that in and of itself is a source of joy. But it's more than just a source of joy. Because when we say that Jesus lives within us, What we're really saying is the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. And Scripture teaches that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, it teaches that. But it also teaches that Jesus sends his Spirit and that his Spirit dwells within us. And what does Galatians 5 teach about the Spirit living within us? Pastors' Club, this should be a bit of a review. We talked about this last week. We talked about the fruit of the Spirit. It was so cool to see at the Pastors' Club how at both sessions of Pastors' Club, the kids could remember every single one of the fruit of the Spirit. I wonder how many of us as adults would be able to do that. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We talked about love last week with the Pastors' Club. But joy is in that list. You know, I've often thought of the fruit of the Spirit as being something that I've got to work at making happen. I've got to work to make it grow kind of thing. But that's not really what Scripture says. If the Holy Spirit is living in your life, you have the Holy Spirit, which means you have the fruit of the Spirit. You have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You have joy. Now granted, when we take the image of of fruit growing on a vine, it takes work for that fruit to produce and to become healthy, but it's there right from the get-go. That is a reality. No matter what your circumstances, no matter what is going on in life, no matter who you are with, no matter where you are, if Jesus is living in your life, If you have experienced His love and forgiveness, then you have the Holy Spirit within you, which means you have the joy of the Lord. Amen? That is worth celebrating. That is a truth that we should be rejoicing in. And you know, we looked last week at a verse that tells us, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice which makes me pause and wonder. If the joy of the Lord is within every one of us who have experienced God's love and forgiveness, why do so many Christians live miserable lives? Why do I find myself miserable so much of the time? Quite simply, because there is one who has come to steal and destroy. We're told in Scripture, in John chapter 10, verse 10, that it is Satan who has come to do that. Yes, we have the joy of the Lord within us, but you know, during this time when we're on earth, Satan is going to do whatever he can to sidetrack the work that God is doing. Yes, we rejoice in knowing that when Jesus died on the cross, he defeated Satan, and the day is coming when Christ will return and Satan's work will be no more. But in the meantime, we live in this time period here on earth where Satan is trying to stop as much of the work that God is doing and destroy the work that he's doing and to steal the things that God has given us. God has given you joy if you have experienced his love and forgiveness. But if you find yourself struggling to live in that reality, perhaps it's because Satan has stolen that joy. How does he do that, you ask? I think one of the most powerful ways that Satan has, one of the most powerful weapons that Satan has in his arsenal is the weapon of everything that goes on around us. Now, I'm not saying that Satan creates all these bad things just to do this. He doesn't need to. Bad stuff's going to happen in life because we live in a fallen, sinful world. It's going to happen. Sickness is going to happen. Brokenness is going to happen. Pain is going to happen. Satan doesn't have to create a bunch more of it. But he loves then to take, us, take our brains and implant ideas and give us thoughts of, look at this circumstance. Look at these people. Look at this. And he just starts pointing out. He doesn't even have to say whether it's good or bad, he just draws our attention to it. And the moment we start focusing on the circumstance, or the issue, or the people, or the information, and we take our eyes off of Jesus, Satan has won. He has stolen our joy. Do you find yourself this morning finding it difficult to experience joy? I'd ask you the simple question, have you ever been given the gift of God's joy in the first place? It comes from simply acknowledging before God that I am sinful, I need His love and forgiveness, and I believe that Jesus Christ, being fully God, died on the cross to pay the price for my sins, and I ask for Him to forgive my sins. And I give my life over to Him and tell Him that I want Him to be in control. And we can do that no matter where we are. We don't have to use fancy words. There's no special posture you have to be in. Each one of us can do that in the quietness of our hearts. And if you're watching this live stream this morning or here in the sanctuary and you've never done that, I would encourage you to do that because that is the step in which we then receive as a bonus, as a blessing, the joy of the Lord. But I suspect for many of us watching this live stream this morning, We've done that, and we've experienced that perhaps many years ago, but do you find yourself struggling to live in the reality of the joy of the Lord? Perhaps Satan has stolen that joy by giving you some ideas that you've chosen to focus on. There are a lot of issues being talked about these days. There's a lot of information being passed around. There's a lot of people doing all different things. There's a lot of situations that make it very easy for us to focus on those things and those people and those issues and to lose sight of Jesus Christ and that He is our source of joy and that He has given me joy. Now, I'm not saying that it is wrong to think about issues and discuss issues or talk with people and talk about what's going on. Absolutely, we need to educate ourselves. We need to learn. We need to to understand things together. We walk with one another through life, through the confusing stuff and the stuff that's easy to understand. But we need to keep it in that perspective of focusing our eyes on Jesus in the midst of all of that. And that is how we experience the reality of joy. Yes, joy is a response. And there are some times where that response comes naturally and there are some times where that response is not what's going to happen. I suspect for many people as we consider Christmas and plans that may or may not happen, we find it difficult to have that response of joy. Yes, joy is a choice. But even in choosing it, sometimes it's kind of hard to say, okay, yeah, I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to look on the positive on this because sometimes the circumstances are just so tough. That's hard. Yes, it is a perspective. But even choosing to focus on Christ sometimes is hard. But my prayer is that we will live in the reality of the joy of the Lord. So let's go back to those two characters. Tigger and Eeyore, which are you naturally? Are you naturally a cup half full guy? You know, you're naturally bouncing around and everything's good. Or do you tend to lean more towards the Eeyore side of things? I want to introduce you to two of my family members. Two of my grandfathers. I guess my two grandfathers, because I only had two grandfathers. Both have passed away and gone to be with the Lord. Both were incredible men of God. One of my grandfathers reminds me of Tigger. He was a guy that no matter where he was, no matter what he was doing, no matter what circumstances he found himself in, if you walked up to him and said, how you doing? He would always give the same answer. Tremendous. And he'd give it with as much gusto gusto as he could. Even when I went to visit him in the hospital, he has just had open heart surgery. The guys got hoses hooked up everywhere. And this was many years ago before open heart surgery was really a common thing. So this was major undertaking. He looks like death warmed over. How you doing, Grandpa? Tremendous. That's just the way he was. He just was naturally that way. He just kind of exuded joy. And I'll admit, there were times in life where I thought to myself, Grandpa, will you get real? I mean, you are just about died here. You're not tremendous. Come on, I know this. But as I've learned about this concept of the joy of the Lord, I realized that he wasn't expressing something based on the circumstances. He was expressing where his heart was at. He was expressing the joy of the Lord in the midst of all the difficult circumstances. Now, you might think I'm going to introduce you to my other grandfather, and he's an Eeyore. I'll let you fill in the blank as to who's an Eeyore, okay? But my other grandfather perhaps depicts things a little more realistic as to where we are. Probably very few of us would say, oh yeah, I'm totally a Tigger, and very few of us would say I'm totally an Eeyore. But I'm reminded of my other grandfather, also an incredible man of God, man of prayer, I remember him praying at the supper table, and he was a details person in prayer. It was so funny, of course, being a young child, his long prayers would sometimes get a little boring, and I'd lose focus, and, and so I'd watch him while he was praying, and he'd be like, and Lord, pray for our family out in Ontario, where? And he'd open his eyes, he'd look at the clock, and he'd do the math. What time is it? It's exactly this time right now, and they're probably doing this. And, and that's just the way he prayed. I remember many, many mornings waking up in the morning and going downstairs at the house that they lived in at the time, and where would Grandpa be? He'd be on his knees praying. They had a wall full of missionaries that they prayed for regularly. And he was a man who knew the joy of the Lord. But you know, he was also a man who I saw grapple with very difficult things. Who wept when family members were sick. Who struggled with theological issues in life that he didn't understand and he he couldn't understand why things were happening. I saw him expressing sorrow, and I saw him go through times of great pain. And he wasn't always the big smile on the face and saying, yeah, it's good. No, he acknowledged things were pretty tough. And yet, you know, in the midst of that, I always knew that the joy of the Lord was his strength. He reminds me of one other character from, from, uh, from the Winnie the Pooh series. In fact, he reminds me, of Winnie the Pooh himself. If we were to put him on this continuum, I'd put him right in the middle. Winnie the Pooh's the character that sometimes he's saying, oh, bother, and other times he's super excited about the honey that he's about to eat. And you see the emotions of both sides of it. And it's not just that he's always super up, but he acknowledges the reality of life. My hope and prayer for each one of us would be that no matter where we naturally fall on this continuum, whether our personality is naturally one of being down or one of being up, or we find ourselves more in the middle where we just kind of experience life and all that goes on. My prayer for us this morning is that we would live in the reality that Jesus Christ came to give us joy. Not joy based on the circumstances, Not joy just because I choose it. Not just joy just because I'm going to focus my mind on Jesus. But joy that comes from the reality of knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the fact that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you and one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. I should just throw in a little caution here. Lest we think that the fruit of the Spirit is something that, oh, that means I've just got it, I never have to do any work. If you think of fruit growing on a tree, you don't just wake up one morning and all of a sudden there's full size, mature, ripe apples hanging on the tree. They go through the season of growing and developing and becoming more mature. That's the same for the fruit of the Spirit. As we allow the Holy Spirit to have control in our lives and to show us the ways in which we need to grow in living in this reality of joy and all the other fruit of the Spirit, yes, it grows. But you have it if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to ask the worship team to come up and to prepare themselves as we are going to sing a song in response to this a song of worship. And I would invite us to remember that worship is an expression of the joy that comes from knowing who God is and what he has done. But my prayer is that as we sing this song, it also will be a time for us to experience his joy, the joy that comes from knowing him. And so I would invite us, let's continue to worship as we sing this song together.